You're listening to the History Bridge Network. Letters from My Old Man, hosted by Lawrence Sanji. February 16th, 1945. My dearest Mike, received your letters of the first and third. Seems the big question centers around my new officer. By name, Carl Willie, first lieutenant, age 28, and a bride of seven months. Far from handsome, I'd say average. For one thing, his table manners are a trifle on the awkward side. Rosalie wouldn't like that. I hadn't told you, but I had been building up Rosalie to my cousin Mike and vice versa. He's only a sergeant, but he has other good points. As for Sergeant Sanji, after I sent him a snapshot of Michaelin being toted by Rosalie, made him a remark that she's well stacked about Rosalie, and that he could go for something like that. I received a letter from him today, and he's broken down completely, except that he wouldn't know what to say. He is a handsome member of, a fa of the family, and sometimes the most sensible. He owned his own barber shop, but had to put it in storage come the draft. Eventually, he sold his car. As he puts it, He's well-heeled, a comfortable bank account. I know he's never had a girlfriend, but a good catch always goes by unnoticed. I'm waiting for a response from Rosalie, and then we'll see if they can't at least correspond. I sent Rosalie part of a letter he last wrote, which explained itself. A portion of his letter I'm sending you to show how successful I've been in building up Rosalie. It could be possible that we may be one big family. Completed reading, two more books have started one another, just something to read. Didn't understand who received the perfume and who's corresponding with whom. Request clarification of page three as pencil. Love. Included with this letter was a little snippet of a letter from Cousin Mike. If I wrote to Rosalie, I just wouldn't know what to say. I can't just, out of clarity, write to her. Ronnie never mentioned her to me. So, by the way, Ronnie wrote to me after I got back from furlough. I haven't a snapshot of myself right now, but the first chance I get, I'll take one and send it to you. The next letter may be censored. Mike. He said the next letter may be censored because he's shipping out. And because he's shipping out and a war goes on, he may not be able to tell where he is or what he's doing. So goes war. March 2nd, 1945. My dearest Mike, received your February 14th and 19th air letters. I noticed that you are still censoring your own mail. Is this to be one of your continued duties? I was pleased to hear that your requested transfer came through so quickly. 
It will probably take a few days to acclimate yourself to the idea of sitting behind a desk with lesser responsibilities and headaches. But most of all, it will be pleasant being with your own race. Probably you will be less lonely. I mean, there will be less time for being alone with your thoughts now that you are expecting to share your living quarters. I'll be anxiously awaiting to read all about your new duties and change of life. As for Cousin Mike and Rosalie, the setup reminds me of what you said to Mila after we had just exchanged our vows. Quote, you finally got me where you wanted me. Even if this was Mila's innermost thought, she never expressed it to me. I just began to like you of my own accord, and all of a sudden, you proposed! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Rosalie is a strange kid, and personally, I don't know what she wants. She writes to more than a few boys. Nothing serious, just newsy letters. And when they are home on furlough, she usually hides in the closet, and I answer the door saying, Rosalie said she's not at home. A by-proxy introduction is sufficient for little Mike to write to my twin. Even a hello card would do the trick. At least for a start, wouldn't it? Now, if you were in his boots, think of how well in hand the situation would be. That home of ours to be is always foremost in my thoughts and dreams. Knowing so little about beams, foundations, plaster, brick and such, you can take complete charge of the structural work and I'll tend to the interior even to your canopied bed, providing you still desire it. If I may, though, I do want insulated walls, which will amply provide for cleanliness, heat, and air conditioning. Plenty of large closet space, maybe cedar-lined for garments, and definitely well-laid-out and spacious rooms, plus a well-equipped laundry and a wonderful range. It has rained all day, thus increasing the threat of flood rises in West Virginia and Ohio. The poor, unfortunate farmers certainly have their share of troubles to cope with. I almost forgot to write that one of Samo, the grocery man's daughters, expects the stork in May. This week's Life magazine features the story of the Battle of Iwo Jima. Gruesome and hateful. Imagine human guts being strung for 15 feet. So it reads on and on. And so to bed for my beauty sleep. Always your mics. February 17th, 1945. My dearest Mike, my orders are being cut for my transfer to the 15th Air Depot Group. My new job, who cares? Anything to get away from this outfit. For one thing, I'll be going back to staff work. A desk and a few files, and perhaps a vacancy for a majority. After almost two years in grade, I'd relish being in a position where a vacancy existed. If there is no vacancy, getting away from this outfit will be compensation enough. No more mess halls and supply rooms and endless building and construction to worry about. Responsibility of each individual and his every need now falls to a first Lieutenant Tingle, infantry officer, over age and grave, and 40 years old. He'll be taking over an outfit that's up to date in every respect, especially the administrative setup. The area, too, is now one of the best areas around. There's one thing he will inherit 
and for which I do not envy him, that is the ever-present racial problem. I haven't discussed this problem with you at all, but when I finally move my quarters, I'll break down and tell you a few things. This is almost too good to be true, but since anything may as yet happen, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. My quarters are by far many times better than most quarters I've seen. Of course, I put a lot of work into my mansion, and a lot of men help me do it. Now I am given to understand that I may move in with two other officers, and that the floor of the tent I'm moving into is made of bamboo. That, my dear, is for the birds. Half of my floor at present is made of Philippine mahogany, and tomorrow I'll inspect my quarters to be, and if necessary, I'll build a new tent. So help me. I ain't used to living in miserable style when a little muscle makes all the difference between misery and comfort. The parachute that now drapes my tent will go with me. I can't say that I'll use it immediately, but I'll keep it handy. I repeat, I will be compensated no matter. Received your airmail letters of the 3rd, the 4th, and the 6th. If you don't give up feeding Michaelin so that you can sit down long enough for a new hairdo or go shopping comfortably or worry about breastfeedings, then I'm not going to be very happy. But what will I know about babies? doesn't even make sense. But after nine months, that baby of mine is about ready for her first date. If I had my way, which is next to impossible, Michaelin would get along very well without her mother's breast. The truth of the matter lies in the fact that Michaelin could at this very minute cease forever her breastfeeding, and with these nine months, healthy start on life. She'll keep on growing as heretofore. Further, I don't like your remaining skinny and weak, where you should be putting on weight and become stronger. Perhaps I don't know what I'm talking about, but nine months of feeding is more than 90% what all other kids are receiving or have received. No doubt I'm wrong, but I'll wait to be told by you. Some time ago, I sent you two treasurer checks for $50 each. They were mailed after I sent the money order. As yet, I haven't heard of your receiving them. I'm getting anxious because my mother's already received her check, and you should have received yours. If you're going to spend money on hairdos, slacks, and stuff, and I'd like to have the money reach you in time for any of your desires. As circumstances stand, Michaeline will have to grow up into a young lady without my admonitions and spankings. But even without me, I believe she is surrounded by enough parental care to be administered the necessary lectures, spankings, and stuff in order that she grow into an admirable young lady. I forget the date of receiving the studio pictures, 
for rechecking, you will find that the date on the letter which mentions my receiving them, January 27th, they both arrived on the same day and in fairly good condition. You mentioned that you take motherhood too seriously. And then you say, what do you think? I think the same as you. You are taking motherhood too seriously. But then who am I to tell a mother she's taking it too seriously? That is a problem that is completely beyond me. I'll never know the answer. My reaction to the whole business has been explained in a previous paragraph. Stop feeding the kid and take a much needed rest. That's my idea. I don't know if it can be done. With another tooth, Mickey will be able to bite into an inch thick steak. You too would come in for your share of bite. Anyway, that's one way to have sore breasts. Or do you know that already? Love, Mike. In the letter I've just read, my father regards to leaving his outfit, and it's a godsend to get away from them finally. And in my mother's previous letter, she wrote, it will be good to be with your own race. This letter in February 1945 marks the one-year anniversary of my father's being company commander the 383rd Aviation Squadron, a totally segregated black Air Corps unit. My father and two white lieutenants trained these men in McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey, took them across country and all through the Pacific, Solomon Islands, Australia, New Guinea, and now the Philippines. At or about one year, he had had enough. Comments in a later letter, which we'll get to, on the discipline problems, on the sanitary conditions, and everything that has plagued him for a year. I have said in the past, talking to other academics, when my father was drafted, he was 30 years old. He also had a college degree and had been teaching in a large urban high school for 10 years. I think they saw him coming. He was older, he was educated, he was a gymnast, and he was a wrestler. They made him a company commander for almost 200 black Air Corps troopers. Upon request and recommendation from his colonel, he is moved to administration duty, and we'll see not just one job, he ends up with the burden of five or six different titles as an administration officer. But he no longer, as he said, is in the command and the health and well-being of every single human under his command. At one point, he's commanding over 200 men. He also was just a captain. The average American company was anywhere from 60 to 100 men. So he had double the size of men. Sometimes some were sent for labor duty, they were sent to warehouses, ships, while the other half stayed in the area. Things to think about. When I read more about his moving on and building a new tent and a new area, we'll talk about exactly what he had to go through with his 383rd Aviation Squadron and how they were independent from any one command.
My father was a man of his time. The anger, the frustrations of being overseas, being away from families, and being in situations you never thought you would find yourself in led to the use of colloquialisms of the time, which we might find unacceptable now. My father was not one to swear or curse in public, never at home, but he never had a good word to say about the Japanese who were fighting about him, and we'll hear those too. The next time we get together, we'll be talking about my father's transfer to a new outfit, the jobs which are assigned to him, and a literary love story between Abelard and Heloise, which both my mother and father comment upon. You've been listening to Letters from My Old Man, hosted by Lawrence Sanji. Veronica's Letters, read by Trish Wiskowski, produced by Jason Rood, and distributed by History Bridge Productions. For more information, check out historybridge.net. That's historybridge.net.